Support for Georgia College Connections comes from Georgia College, Georgia's public liberal arts university, providing the experience students would expect from a private college with the affordability of a public university. For more information, gcsu.edu. Thank you for tuning in to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. I'm your host, Daniel McDonald, and today we continue our collaboration with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College to bring their Times Talk conversations to our radio audience. The Times Talk is a weekly current events and ideas symposium that takes place at noon Wednesdays in the Ina Dillard Russell Library on the campus of Georgia College in downtown Milledgeville. Of course, these events are free and open to the public, so if you enjoy the discussion that we're about to have, please consider coming out and being a part of the conversation at noon Wednesdays in the Georgia College Library. Today, our Times Talk topic is Africa, Europe, and Genocide the German genocide in Namibia, and the case for reparations. I'm joined in the studio today by Georgia College history professor Aaron McKinnon. Dr. McKinnon, welcome to Georgia College Connections. Thank you. Good to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. And I very much appreciate you taking the opportunity to um, bring this conversation to our radio audience. Now, today we're looking at a story of a European country and its relationship to an African nation that it was once the colonizer of. It's a story that takes place well over a century and has uh, very prescient moments for what we're going through uh, right now, not only in this instance, but in many ways um, through the course of our conversation, I think we'll find out uh, all over the world. Could you introduce this relationship between Germany and Namibia? Certainly. So, Beginning in the mid-19th century, Western Europe was undergoing these particularly important social and economic developments, and the Industrial Revolution was in full swing. And emerging out of that were European interests in various opportunities to develop their economies. And there are lots of theories about how and where and why they were going to do that. But essentially, the idea was that Europeans, both in terms of their population and their economic development, needed to expand and wanted to do so globally. At this point, the opportunity becomes sort of couched in terms of new territories, new environments that were available to them. And there had been a lot of exploration by European travelers and traders and merchants in the African region for much of the 19th century. And it really gets into full swing as they become more interested. By the 1880s and 1884, 85, Germany has taken a lead in developing a kind of organizational structure for Europeans to get interested. And it's often referred to as the Berlin Conference, in which uh, Kaiser Wilhelm II invited European powers it was also partly orchestrated by the Belgian king, Leopold II, to sit around a table and literally look at a map of Africa and decide who should get which piece of this magnificent African cake. And in the discussions and in the offing, Germany ended up with a handful of pretty tasty portions, including parts of West Africa, Cameroon and Togo, parts of East Africa, Tanganyika, what is now part of modern Tanzania, and also the region we're interested in today, Southwest Africa or Namibia as it now is. So they built their interest in that area on the principle of was a curious guy, a geographer, Friedrich Ratzel, who coined the term Lebensraum. 
And the idea of Lebensraum was literally, I guess, elbow room. But the idea was that Germany was ready to go forth in the global spectrum to spread out and to find new opportunities for its population. Part of the backstory was that there had been economic downturn and there had been poverty and urban blight in Germany. So there was this need to sort of help to export some of their population. Once they acquire the region of Southwest Africa, this becomes the hoped-for place for German settlers to move and begin to develop their economic opportunities in this region. And it all sounded well and good because it neglected larger, more important social factor, which was that these areas were inhabited by their own states and societies. And in particular, in this region, we have three major groups to the north of the area that we're concerned with with the genocide was the Ovambo set of kingdoms. But in central Namibia, there were the Herero and the Nama. And both of these people were pastoralists. They were involved in some farming, depending on what was available to them. And they also engaged in hunting and gathering strategies, depending on what was available in the region. Winding back, though, in fact, interestingly enough, this area was also arguably ground zero for what becomes a very sort of central feature of the racist imagination of European colonizers. People may have heard the term eugenics, and that was one part of a kind of pseudoscientific approach to ordering the world, not just geographically, but in terms of physical types and differentiating people according to essential physical sort of perceptions of what they could do based on how they looked. And interestingly enough, in Namibia itself, one of the great forefathers, shall we say, of the eugenics movement, a guy named Francis Galton, had done his fieldwork research in the Okanda region. And it was there that he began to think about these ideas of how Africans were inherently different. So you wind that forward, you map it on to this idea of Lebensraum, and the German settlers arrive. The problem for them, though, was they were undercapitalized, they were inexperienced, and they also arrived with this idea of their own cultural superiority, in part based on what they had been taught about eugenics and the national identity of being German and being superior. So when they arrive in this context, they begin to sort of seek out the opportunity to take land and to engage in their own farming practices. In so doing then, they have to displace the Africans who were there, particularly the, the Herero and the Nama. As they do that, understandably, those societies and people within them resisted and resented this because it was very exploitive and it was done with sort of very cynical, very pejorative, very denigrating means. So the German settlers engaged in very brutal tactics when they tried to employ African workers. They would beat them. They would not pay them. Because many of these individuals who arrived early were single men, they took African women as quote-unquote wives by force. They were essentially concubines or slavery prostitutes. They raped them. They beat them. And even to the extent that this became a satirized sort of series of postcards and comics back in Germany, it was well known that these German settlers had perpetrated these things. Thrown into the mix by the 1890s, we have a circumstance in which African society is now under great pressure both from German settlement demanding land and labor and taking it forcibly or coercively alongside a devastating cattle epidemic called the Rinderpest, which devastated all of Southern Africa. And that added a great deal of extra pressure to the Herero especially. 
Now, the Herrera had long been engaged in trading practices, and they were very advanced and sophisticated merchants, uh, had organized societies, and in fact also had access to firearms. So at a particular location named Okahanja, when the pressures got particularly great, they resisted. They rebelled. They actually sought to attack German settler farms. Now, in the offing, and this gives you some sense as the differential, the basic record of account is something in the neighborhood of 120 to 130 white German settlers were killed in this phase of a rebellion. That sparked mass retaliation on the part of the Germans. The governor of the Southwest African state, this fellow named Theodore Lutten, had more or less balanced excessive force with treaties and some management of relations. All of that was cast aside. And the German settlers on the ground began to demand more and more retaliatory actions. Thrown into the mix was a general, military-trained individual who had been instrumental in other German colonial efforts to suppress resistance among colonized peoples, this fellow Lothar von Trotta. And he becomes infamous in our story here as the person who articulated what becomes known as the Annihilation Order. And in the early phases of the activities, the uh, campaign against the Herero, we see von Trotta guiding his forces to drive the Herero into retreat. And ultimately, with the superiority of European firepower, they were able to compel the Herero to retreat deep into a place called the Omequa Desert. And at the Omaheka Desert, they had no options, no opportunity. And this was part of the calculation that Von Trotta had made to ensure that they could be exterminated, annihilated. And that's where historians and people familiar with concepts of international justice begin to point the finger directly at this notion of genocide. The idea that Von Trotta, whose order was known and understood by his political superiors both in Namibia and even in Germany, uh, was able to continue to perpetrate actions that were unspeakable even today, but included poisoning wells that would prevent women and children and elderly as well as uh, Herero men from access to the essential life-giving element. They also would perpetrate other atrocities against them whenever captured. And von Trotta's order was very explicit. No Herero would be accepted in this phase as being able to surrender and treated as a prisoner of war. In the offing, thousands of Herero are estimated to have lost their lives in the struggle to survive in the Omaheka Desert and make it possible to try and regroup. Eventually, because of political lobbying, because of missionary interests, because of some light being shed on this, von Trotta was compelled to sort of back up a little bit. And in fact, in a very insidious and cynical way, he managed to convince the missionaries who had had good relations with the Herero to submit themselves to surrender. And as they did, the next phase of what we understand as the genocide emerges, and that is the development of the concentration camps. And again, these were eerily prescient of what was to come during the Second World War under Nazi Germany. And many historians have pointed to this case in Namibia as, in fact, not only the 20th century's first genocide, but the prelude to Germans developing what they would utilize in the Holocaust during the Second World War, the tactics, the strategies, the whole approach. So these concentration camps were developed in and around the areas of white German urban development. They were areas where 
The Herrero refugees were collectivized. They were then put into appalling conditions and basically then sold out as day laborers to various companies. And this is one of the things that is so disturbing that there were a goodly number of well-known German companies, corporations that are still in operation today who managed to make significant profits by the use of this concentration camp labor during this period of the genocide. Perhaps the most infamous among all of these was a place called Shark Island, which was just off of the coast in a place called Luderitz. And it was at Shark Island that some Herero and other rebellious groups, including Nama-speaking people, were incarcerated in the most horrific conditions. And at this place, the opportunity was provided to another so-called scientist of the German Second Reich, a man named Eugene Fischer. And he took the opportunity to come to Shark Island and begin what would help form ideas about experiments, medical experiments, and anatomical experiments. He was among the groups of scientists who took body parts from these Namibian people. In fact, one of the labor activities that women concentration camp survivors or concentration camp inmates were forced to do was to boil down and scrape off the hair and the skin of the skulls of Herero people so that they could be shipped back to Germany for scientific study. And so within the concentration camp on Shark Island, something in the neighborhood of 2,000 people were incarcerated over a period of three or four years. And at the end of the day, they were decimated to the extent of, I think, something like 75%. So just a few hundred people survived that. And of course, there are other sort of features reminiscent of what comes later in the Holocaust with this uh, process, including the use of cattle car train transportation to bring these people into that environment. And again, the medical experimentation, the appalling conditions, the lack of food and nutrition, the hard labor, all of these things are, are going to be replicated later. And that's in large measure why the situation in Namibia is so important for us to recognize and understand. Mm -hmm. Well, we're out of time in this segment, so we're going to take a short break right now. But if you're just joining us, you're listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. We're having another of our Times Talk conversations. Of course, the Times Talk takes place each Wednesday at noon in the Georgia College Library. Please consider this your invitation to come out and join in the conversation. But again, if you're just joining us, we're talking today about Africa, Europe, the German genocide in Namibia, and the case for reparations. I'm joined in the studio by Georgia College history professor Aaron McKinnon. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Georgia College Connections.
Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Again, today we're having one of our Times Talk Conversations. This, of course, is a collaboration with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College to bring these weekly current events and ideas symposiums to our radio audience. Today we're talking about Africa, Europe, and genocide, the German genocide in Namibia, in the case for reparations. I'm joined in the studio today by Georgia College history professor Aaron McKinnon. Now, we talked about the exposition of this one individual case um, in the colonization of Africa. In the first segment, we gave an exposition for this relationship between Germany and Namibia. And there are a few, it's kind of representative of several of these kinds of European-African colonizing relationships that went on. But we also want to bring this to the present and maybe even talk about what repercussions this has for a global society. So in this segment, I just thought I'd just start off with bring us to the present of this relationship between Germany and modern Namibia. So... As we were last speaking about, the efforts of the German colonizers were tantamount to what we would call a genocide, something in the neighborhood of 75% of the Herero population had been annihilated on the order of about 50% of the Nama-speaking peoples had been annihilated in this process. There are survivors, and they are calling now for a reckoning with Germany as their colonizing power to get a better sense of their own integrity, their own self-determination. And oftentimes this is couched in the argumentation about what we think of as reparations. And that's one piece of a larger dialogue. The idea of reparations is to take account of the impact that this effort of not just the colonial war that was genocidal and the concentration camps, but the overall package of German colonialism, which was very exploitive of African people. So how do we address that? How do we seek to give the Herero and the Nama people in Namibia a sense of a holistic integrity going forward? And this is problematic because, as the article in the New York Times that we can talk about further uh, sort of points out, Germany and other European powers have not been forthcoming in their recognition of these issues. Uh, in fact, as we were talking off mic, there is a sense of being in denial, perhaps even seeking to cover it up, despite the known evidence. Now, part of the reason that denial is possible is, I think, part of this larger context of a sort of almost global racism, a, a sense that there are us and them, that Europeans uh, had civilization that entitled them. And I'm not sure that has entirely gone away. We could perhaps argue about whether or not Germans have done a full soul-searching reckoning with themselves about what they want to do. Is this going to be simply be another paternalist effort to um, pat the Namibians on the head and say, okay, we did wrong in the past, that's not who we are now, and we've moved on. So we're going to make it whole and good by giving your government money. And they can distribute this and use it for development and new opportunities. And it sounds like not a bad step forward. On the other hand, for individuals who live in Namibia now, who are on land renting from the very descendants of the German settlers who perpetrated the genocide in the first place, who now own the land that the Herero ancestors used to have authority over, have ownership of, is so galling and so destroying of their idea of identity and self-determination that they're calling for more. There are other dimensions to this as well. I mean, the colonizers, as I've suggested, haven't fully left. 
There are German descendants who are Namibians now. They're citizens. They live there. They're part of the social fabric of the society and the economy. And nobody is arguing that they must be ejected as immigrants, uh, though one might make that argument. And, and in some cases in the past in Africa, some African nationalist leaders have called for that. They've said whites out in some places. Not the case in Namibia, but I think they do want more than Germany is willing to concede at this point. So I want to stop you. Has there been some kind of formal recognition of this genocide or crimes against some of the people in Namibia? Or is it um, solely contingent to this point about some kind of monetary remuneration for these acts? Yeah, no, good point. And in fact, to their credit, I think the German government and representatives going back to Helmut Kohl and even before have accepted and acknowledged the notion of genocide and that they have put it in that context. I think as an international community and in terms of jurisprudence, we still don't really know what that means for reconciliation questions and for justice questions. The Germans have stopped short, however, of wanting to go to the level of individual payments. And part of that, as we were talking earlier, is because Namibia is a modern nation state that is of European making, but now is comprised of different component parts. The Herero and the Nama are very much in the minority. They're afraid that this state-to-state relationship that is emerging in these debates and negotiations is really only going to privilege the Namibian government, which arguably is overrepresented by the Ovambo, which is a different ethnic group and, and which has a different political history. And it's not necessarily that the Ovamba are hostile to the Herero interests, but because of their own intrinsic interests as a state and as an ethnic group, they may not seek to press for the sort of specific reparations that would accrue just to the Herero or the Nama themselves. And and another point that I found interesting in this is that, obviously, if a genocide were to be perpetrated right now, there would be a uh, framework for legal repercussions to try to find blame and dispense some justice against those who are responsible for it. But because this action happened early in the 20th century, this is not the case in that maybe, and, and I'm going on a limb here, the Germans are more apt to say, yes, this was a genocide, but as the idea about reparations come in, that has a distinct weight to it itself, that they want to fall short of calling them reparations and maybe just say that they're payments to this government? Can you explain that? Yeah, there is that sense of trying to put this relationship now into a forward-looking idea of development and that they only seem to want to acknowledge the genocide as a context in the past or in that in, in the past context, rather. And so there's this sort of, that's not who we are now. We've moved on. We've learned our lessons. And of course, there is a, a great effort to pivot away from the, the larger question of the Holocaust and the Second World War. Although, as we said, there arguably are some historical continuities there. But I think it's partly because they also may be mindful of this wider equation, which is if we cross over and we take responsibility for reparations for what was done in the past, this will open up to a global expectation of every act of historical exploitation, conquest, now demanding some form of reparations. I don't think the Germans are necessarily 
believing that they are acting as a proxy for other imperial states, countries like France and Britain, or even the circumstances that exist in this country today with whether or not we want to reconcile ourselves with our past, with Native Americans, with African Americans, with Latin Americans, all of whom suffered the vicissitudes of American colonial expansion in the continent. But they, I think, suggest that that is perhaps part of it. This is not just a case about some European nation in their relationship with a an African people, I want to say, because, I mean, they've created this nation. I'm not sure that these African people would have come together and created the Namibia that we know today without this kind of European concept of nationhood before them. But, you know, this actually could have repercussions for our own history now. Certainly. I mean, you raise an interesting question about the idea of self-determination. Mm. What What is a nation? Can it only be defined in the Western paradigm with lines drawn on a map and articulated through a state developed uh, sense of citizenship and identity and bureaucracy. So that's an interesting question. But you're right. I mean, this does have much wider implications for how we want to reconcile ourselves to the past and what it means for development. I think what one of my big takeaways from this is being that if you look at the individual case, you could certainly litigate this idea. And seek to deal with the question of how much and who gets paid and what what are our responsibilities in that kind of legal sense. But for me, it's also an important historic opportunity to open up the question. I think that the idea of reparations is the beginning of a conversation in which members of a family that came together, perhaps for all the wrong reasons, but nevertheless have a shared history, have a shared culture, is sometimes unequal, often in opposition, but Germany and Namibia are inextricably linked through this process. And I hope that the dialogue about reparations does do the right thing in terms of social justice and individual justice for people who suffered. But I also hope it's an opportunity for the world to have a dialogue in which we recognize collectively how interrelated we are, that we are members of one global family that need to take responsibility for each other and to care for each other which includes reconciling the painful past, restoring people through social justice, repatriating bodily remains, having conversations which respect the dignity and spiritual identity of people, even though we don't always understand or see their identity because of our Western paradigm. I really do think this is a great chance for Germany to lead the way in understanding why that conversation is so important to begin to talk of Namibians as members of the global family and the German family and the European family and vice versa for Namibians to recognize for better or worse, Germans are a part of Namibian culture and society as well. Well, I just think uh, we have to reconcile this past to go forward. Uh, we cannot continue to go forward in the world in which we live in, uh, not the world we'd like to live in, but the world in which we do live in with all these things in our past. And now we're about out of time in our program today. It's time for the, the perennial last time talk question, which is what do you hope that your audience on Wednesday takes away from this conversation? Well, a couple of simple things, I think. One, I'm a historian of Africa, and I do think that, as we talked earlier, there isn't necessarily as clear a recognition and understanding of the African past um, as I think we need to. And I, it's deeply troubling to me that we continue to persist with that question, that people in the West don't necessarily may never have heard of Namibia or this case. And so there's an important recognition there. But again, as I say, I think that the other takeaway from this particular issue is this one case is very suggestive of the need to begin a dialogue 
in which we look at the past as an opportunity, not just for healing and reparations, which I think are critical for the human spirit and psyche, but also, as you say, as a way forward. How can we possibly give opportunity both to Germany and to Namibia to develop a more progressive possibility for economic, social, cultural development if they cannot move on from their past? It will continue to haunt them and and maybe even trap them. Dr. Aaron McKinnon, thank you so much for bringing this conversation to our radio audience. Thank you. I appreciate the chance. You've been listening to Georgia College Connections and WRGC 88.3 FM. Today we had another in our series of collaboration with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College to bring their Times Talk conversation to our radio audience. Again, the Times Talk happens each Wednesday at noon in the Georgia College Library. Please consider this your invitation to come out and join in these conversations. Today we talked about Africa, Europe, and genocide, the German genocide in Namibia, and the case for reparations. I was joined in the studio by Georgia College history professor Aaron McKinnon. I've been your host, Daniel McDonald. It's been my pleasure spending a portion of this evening with you here on Georgia College Connections, and I want you to know that I look forward to convening with you next time.